This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. My name is Rick Flagg, and I've been reporting on the clown car known as the state legislature since 1978, when I was a journalism student at Florida A&M. I've spent more than 40 years covering the political beat in the Capitol for some of the best radio stations in Florida, but this podcast is something entirely new. It's my first chance to do a story that runs more than 40 seconds, so let's get this show on the road. Summer vacation is done, and the Florida legislature goes back to work today. It's committee week in Tallahassee as lawmakers gather for the first time since the end of the regular session in the spring. That means lots of workshops, which is legislative code for saying this week is all about talk but not action. In the aftermath of shootings in El Paso and Dayton, the committee in the Florida Senate begins looking into issues related to mass violence. They'll be hearing from law enforcement, academics, and mental health experts this afternoon. Today on Sunrise, we'll talk with a man scheduled to take over next year as president of the Florida Senate. Wilton Simpson of Trilby has already responded to the shootings in Texas and Ohio by filing a resolution to condemn white nationalism and white supremacy, saying they contradict Florida values. If you want some face time with the governor, it would help if you like golf and have deep pockets. Would you believe $100,000 for a one-on-one round of golf with Ron DeSantis? What's going on at the ABLE Trust? The agency at the State Education Department is charged with helping find employment for persons with disabilities. But the State Education Commissioner is threatening to shut them down. We'll talk with News Service of Florida reporter Anna Ceballos, who broke the story. We'll also check out your calendar of events for today and help you keep up to speed with the latest antics of a legendary anti-hero known as Florida Man. So strap in for today's first episode of Sunrise. Florida lawmakers go back to work today as they return to Tallahassee for the first round of committee hearings, preparing for the 2020 legislative session that begins in January. More than 200 bills have already been filed, covering everything from guns, drugs, and presidential politics to feminine hygiene products. It sounds like a lot, but there will be plenty more because the whole legislative process has been accelerated. The session begins in January instead of March, so basically they have to cram six months of prep work into four. Senator Wilton Simpson says there are good reasons to start early. Of course, there are always some disadvantages. Probably the one slight disadvantage, I would say, would be that obviously the budget changes through the year. And working in January and February um, on the budget, you know, we could miss a downturn in the economy mid-next year. We could miss an upturn in the economy mid-next year where we could have more resources. That's probably the only disadvantage of going early. There are lots of advantages um, of going early. Um, It's cooler in Tallahassee. We get finished earlier. We're home for springtime, things of that nature. A committee in the Florida Senate will start looking into issues related to mass violence today. Senate President Bill Galvano ordered the Infrastructure and Security Committee to examine the issues after mass shootings last month. The committee chaired by Senator Tom Lee will hold a workshop this afternoon that includes presentations about academic research, law enforcement issues, mental health issues, and judicial issues. Senator Simpson, the GOP leader in the upper chamber, says this is one of those issues that cannot be ignored. You know, I think that this is a very important subject to take a look at. Um, I was very proud of the work that we did with the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Act. I think that uh, Florida is a real leader in this effort of protecting our school kids and protecting our schools and our our general citizenry. You know, there have been thousands of um, cases made in arrests or weapons confiscated from folks who are mentally disturbed. And, and that's exactly how the, that process was supposed to work. So I believe that the work that um, Senator Lee's committee will do will build on a lot of those efforts. I believe they'll take a look at what drives um, some of these issues, what are the root causes. You'll see a lot of um, experts that will um, come and testify in front of that committee 
And I believe if you, um, you know, with law enforcement, with um, experts on these subject matters, I think it'll um, be a very um, fruitful um, committee meeting. Among the speakers at today's workshop, Florida Department of Law Enforcement Commissioner Rick Swearingen, leaders of the Florida Sheriff's Association and the Florida Police Chiefs Association, professors from Florida State University's College of Criminology, and officials with the Department of Children and Families. The Education Committee in the Senate is also getting into the whole mass shooting issue as it relates to school safety. But Senator Simpson does not believe any new gun legislation is likely to be approved during the 2020 session. I'm not sure there is. Um, When you look at the root causes of a lot of this violence, you know, guns are one weapon of choice. Um, Automobiles are another weapon. Knives are a weapon. Uh, And so when you look at you're really looking at something much bigger than gun violence. I think it's easy to politicize the gun issue. I think it's easy to, um, you know, to excite a lot of folks um, about that issue. And, and, but I don't think that, um, you know, guns by themselves, knives by themselves, automobiles by themselves have to be weaponized by a human. And I think that's the, what we should be focusing on. They may not deal with guns, but lawmakers will spend a lot of time talking about them and about motivation. Last month's shootings in Texas and Ohio were carried out by men who believed in white supremacy. And Simpson has filed a resolution that condemns white supremacy and white nationalism. You know, I think it's very important um, to our communities and to the people that, that support us in these efforts in Tallahassee to know that we denounce this type of activity. We not only denounce it, um, it is counterproductive to any free society. And I hope that um, our colleagues will not only support that effort, but make sure that a lot of folks, again, try to politicize these types of um, um, issues. Um, This is not politicizing this issue. This is um, saying it straight, that we denounce these type of activities and that we would hope our citizens would also denounce these um, type of activities. Now, on the lighter side, we also had the chance to talk about legislative issues in the upcoming session and chicken shit. Simpson says there's a lot more of it in Tallahassee than on his chicken farm in Trilby. We'll have that conversation later this week on Sunrise. Need a one-on-one with the governor? Well, the first question to ask is, what's in your wallet? If you've got $25,000 to spare, you can join Ron DeSantis in a round of golf as part of a foursome. But if you want him all to yourself, that round of golf will cost you one hundred dollars It's a whole new way to pay for play. Those are just a couple of the financial tidbits revealed in emails from DeSantis campaign staffers that were obtained by the Tampa Bay Times. Former campaign chair Susie Wiles told the newspaper the plan never became a reality and it would be false and grossly unfair to the governor to assume that any of the ideas proposed in the memo were actually implemented. Now, denials aside, DeSantis is still fundraising at full speed despite being more than three years away from the next election. Reporter John Kennedy with the Gatehouse Newspapers has a story saying the governor seems to have a habit of rewarding big-dollar donors by appointing them to influential state boards and commissions. Now, there's really nothing unique about that. Former Governor Rick Scott collected more than a million bucks in donations from 127 of the people that he appointed to state boards and commissions for last year's Senate race. DeSantis is simply following his lead. Another candidate is vying for the House District 4 seat in my old stomping grounds of the Florida Panhandle. Okaloosa County Republican Party Chairman Jeff Hinkle is officially in the race to replace Mel Ponder of Destin, who appears to be more interested in running for the Okaloosa County Commission than for re-election to the Florida House next year. Hinkle plans to jumpstart the campaign with a half million dollars of his own money. Three other candidates have already announced they'll be running for the seat. Next on Sunrise... 
the ABLE Trust. Now, the mission of the ABLE Trust is to provide opportunities for successful employment of Floridians with disabilities. The organization was created by state lawmakers back in 1990. It's helped put thousands of people with disabilities to work. But the agency is now in turmoil. At the center of that storm is the State Education Commissioner, Richard Corcoran. Anna Sebalius is a reporter for News Service of Florida. She broke the story. Welcome to the podcast, Anna. Thank you for having me. So what's going on now? What exactly is happening at the ABLE Trust? Right. So we... We reported in what was in mid-August, so last month, that Richard Corcoran was pretty unhappy with the ABLE Trust nonprofit organization, which serves under his agency. And he was very upset that there was potential misuse of funds because the nonprofit created an entity called the ABLE Charitable Foundation, and he was unaware of how that money that the, how the money that was being transferred from the able trust to the charitable charitable foundation was being used um, he was unhappy with the leadership so he demanded that they resign um, he also wanted to agree to undergo a full audit and a full investigation or else he would shut them down and the reaction by the able trust was to do what to have all their members or board members resign at least for and CEO as well. So they have already replaced a CEO and they have at least terminated or all of the board members resigned and were at that point. And I understand you've had a whole lot of trouble trying to get information out of them since all this went down. It's been pretty difficult. You know, you call and you know, it's it's a receptionist and then you never never hear back. I sent emails to the members of the organization when before I even published the story and I still have not heard back. Um, so it's, it's a lot of, it's pretty much radio silence coming from them. So are services continuing for people who were being served by the ABLE Trust? I mean, are, are, are contracts still going out or uh, is it stopped? It is my understanding that it's still running. It has not been shut down despite the demands and the threats from Richard Corcoran. Um, I talked to the Department of Education as, when was this, Thursday, um, and they told me that they are still working with them to meet all the 10 demands that they listed in the letter. Um, and while some of them have not been fulfilled, it, um, they were giving a September 1st deadline to meet um, to, to severe all ties with the ABLE Charitable Foundation. They did not do that, but they have not shut them down despite that threat to shut them down if they didn't do so. So did the speaker actually say what his concern was about the foundation, that it might be some sort of shell operation for right. money? Right. He, he was mentioning concerns. He, he said that he was made aware of, aware of egregious concerns regarding the use of money that potentially, and, and he was trying to suggests that there should be an investigation done by the Florida Auditor General to investigate whether or not the nonprofit had been pretty much using the charitable foundation to not give back the state money that it didn't spend, perhaps, or just, you know, using it, like you said, like potentially like a shell organization. Okay. Now, of course, Richard Corkin, especially during his days as speaker, was legendary for his delight in a fight. He loved <laughs> to pick fights and, you know, he, could be a bit of a, a Richard from time to time. Uh, but from talking to you earlier, I got the impression that, that even his traditional non-ally, shall we say, I think Corkin may have a point here. Right. I mean, it, it was almost, at least people in that community, people who are very connected to this, the disabilities community and are 
pretty much trying to help the most vulnerable in this stage are we're very concerned for some time about how that organization was being run. Um, so whether or not they agreed with the way the Education Com Commissioner did it, they agreed that something needed to be done to pretty much shake up leadership to get some better working out of that entity that they believe is really meaningful and very important for the state to have. And what's up next? What is the next thing that's going to happen in this? Well, what's up next is, you know, the letter listed deadlines. They didn't meet the deadline. Um, the department says that they're working diligently with the nonprofit to make sure that they meet everything that Richard Corcoran wanted. So now, I guess all eyes are on Corcoran on what he will do next, because if you know, if he threatens to shut them down and they don't meet the demands, well, what's he, yeah, what is he going to do? Because, put up or shut up time. Right. Yeah. Especially if he's threatening that if they do not meet those demands, that the IRS or prosecutors could be called in. So I guess that's where we should be putting our focus on. Will he do that? Gotcha. And in any number of, well, do we know the number of students who are getting services now? The letter, the latest letter, which Corcoran sent, mentioned that 45,000 people were served in the last year. So we don't really, I guess I, I really wouldn't know what the exact number is as of right now, but at least in the last year, 45,000 right. were served. So one way or another, there's a lot of folks involved. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anna Savalius with News Service of Florida, who broke the story on Able Trust and Richard Corcoran, Florida Education Commissioner. Next up, your legislative agenda. The Senate Infrastructure and Security Committee will hold a workshop about mass attacks and violence after incidents like the shootings in El Paso and Dayton. Geez, where have I heard that before? The meeting starts 1 p.m. in the Senate office building, affectionately known as the SOB. The House Appropriations Committee will receive a presentation by Amy Baker, director of the legislature's Office of Economic and Demographic Research, about a report known as the Long Range Financial Outlook. Now, that report details issues like tax collections, projected spending. It's aimed at helping lawmakers as they draw up a new state budget. That begins 3 p.m. in the Knott Building across the street from the Capitol. The Senate Education Committee will receive an update on school safety and security in the aftermath of last year's mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School that killed 17 people. Laws passed in 2018 and 2019 require all public schools to follow a number of security measures, including having trained armed security personnel on site at all times. Many schools, especially charter schools, struggle to comply with that requirement. The meeting starts at 4.30 in the Knott Building. The state's Restoration of Voting Rights Work Group will meet today. The group was created part of the effort to carry out a constitutional amendment that restored voting rights to felons who completed the terms of their sentences. That meeting takes place at 2 this afternoon in Morris Hall in the House Office Building. We're just about done with episode number one of Sunrise, but it would not be complete without a mention of Florida Man. Not the hero we need, but maybe the one we actually deserve. Today's Florida Man story comes out of Martin County, where a suspected car thief tried to outrun a police helicopter by hijacking a golf cart. Authorities in Palm City say 25-year-old Jerome Inman surrendered to authorities near the seventh hole of the Hammock Creek Golf Club. But he wasn't the only Florida man going after automobiles. Deputies in Okaloosa County say 30-year-old Justin James Wilson faces 14 felony and six misdemeanor counts for attacking a bunch of cars with rocks and his belt buckle. He did an estimated $30,000 worth of damage to vehicles parked at the Holiday Inn Resort on Okaloosa Island. Wilson told them he did because Donald Trump owes him a trillion dollars and because the cars are actually owned by the mafia. 
That's it for the first edition of Sunrise. Our thanks today to Peter Schorsch, Anna Sabalios, and Aaron Isaac for making it all happen. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics. And if you're still confused by this whole concept, a podcast, look at it this way. It's just radio without the station. Back with a new episode tomorrow.